I'm going to wrap up today the last Sunday of our series, Money God's Way. And I believe this is going to be a blessing to you. You can turn your Bible to Matthew 25, verse 14, and you can follow along or follow on the screen. But I want to read this parable that Jesus taught to you today. Jesus said, the kingdom of God, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold came, also said, Master, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. Wow, tell me how you really feel. <laughs> so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So he says, take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a crazy parable, but it's so helpful when it comes to understanding God and what he wants from us. I'm going to preach a message today titled, Use It or Lose It. Come on, that's a great sermon title, isn't it, church? I'm excited. So Jesus teaches this parable a couple of days before the Passover. He knew he was going to be dying on the cross soon. So he was teaching with the end in mind so that his disciples would live with the end in mind. The master represents Jesus and the servants represent us or people. And this parable teaches us what God wants from us. Jesus is the ultimate entrepreneur. It only took him three years of ministry to establish the greatest organization in the history of the world. With practically no resources and all the odds stacked against him, here's the church of Jesus Christ now 2,000 years later, reached billions of people and changed the world for God's glory. This is what Jesus does. He gets stuff done. All he does is win. And in this parable, the master gives his servants bags of money 
it doesn't really, some translations say bags of gold, some say talents, which was a unit of measure, gold. Some say bags of silver. It doesn't really matter what kind of money, stacks of cash, it doesn't matter. It, it represents a substantial amount of money. I'm gonna read even from different translations, but we're talking about a, being entrusted with wealth, with resources, and that represents all of the resources that God has given us. Time, your energy, your health, your wealth, your skills and abilities. All of these things come from God. Amen, church? And our master, he's not playing games. He wants us to use it. Because if we don't, he says, you'll lose it. He expects you to use his resources to get an E-R-O-I. An E-R-O-I is an eternal return on investment. We've got some businessmen in the church. We've got some investors in the church. You want an ROI, a return on investment, but God, he wants an eternal return on investment. He is an eternal God and he wants an eternal return. That's how he works. First Corinthians three helps us understand this. It says, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. He's talking about the foundation of salvation, the foundation of the gospel. Jesus is our foundation. We're saved because of him. But on that foundation, we're building lives for God's glory. Amen. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels. That's one type of material, wood, hay, or straw. You can see a big difference there, a different type of material. But on the judgment day, and he's not talking about judgment day, determining whether or not you'll get into heaven. He's talking to Christians right now. There's another judgment day for all Christians called the judgment seat of Christ. On the judgment day, he's gonna measure our works. Fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward, right? Wood, hay, and straw don't survive the fire. You're tracking? But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved. He'll get into heaven. He's a Christian. But like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames with his eyebrows burned off, right? Like, I'm here. I made it. So here's what we see. There are many things we can spend our lives consumed with. There's a lot of stuff you could work on, but not everything that you work on has eternal value to God. There's a lot of good things, a lot of nice things, but some works are eternal works. Let me explain what that might look like. Here are some different types of eternal works, like building Jesus's church. Okay, leading lost people to experience new life in Jesus because people have souls. And so when you help someone get saved and their soul is saved, that's an eternal work. Tithing, that's storing up treasure in heaven. Giving offerings, storing up treasure in heaven. It's eternal. Serving one another, that's what Jesus told us to do. Helping the poor, God really cares about this. So when we do it, we do it unto him. It's an eternal work. Raising children in the ways of God. I love this one because we got some stay-at-home moms and sometimes you feel like you've missed your purpose in life or that God has somehow called you to a lesser purpose, but it's not a lesser purpose. Raising children to know the ways of God, that is an eternal work. And any good works done in Jesus' name, et cetera, et cetera. Lots of nice things you could do, lots of good things you could do, but not every good work is a lasting work. 
Only eternal works get rewarded in eternity. So the other day, I opened up my phone, and I go to my Starbucks app, and I'm going to buy some coffee. And here's what I see. I see I have less rewards than I used to. This is an actual screenshot from my phone. It says, Ryan, you've been a member since 2011. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to take your rewards away. Did you know your rewards expire if you don't use them? I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that. It didn't used to be that way. But when I dug into it, what was going on is you got to use them or lose them. And it said February 2nd, recently expired stars. March 2nd, I lost 37.8 stars. <sighs> And then it says stars expiring soon, April 1st, May 1st, June 1st, July 1st, some very significant days in my life. <laughs> Got to use those stars. And I was thinking about how opportunities are constantly being presented to us and passing us by. And I wish there was a, an app for Christians that we could, we could measure the opportunities that God ha has given us and see how we're doing. Maybe it would look a little bit like this. Maybe it'd be like, Savior's rewards. <laughs> it says, re recently expired opportunities to be faithful. You could share Jesus with your neighbor. You know, sometimes you're talking to a neighbor and you can just tell God's given you an open door, but you're like, ah, I don't really know if I want to have that conversation. It could be awkward. And then I still got to see him. I'm not going to say anything. Tithe, you could tithe on your last paycheck, but, but, but if you didn't, it's like, ah, you missed it. You could help a single mom. Maybe you saw the opportunity and, and you're like, ah, I don't know if it's my place and she might not want my help. And you missed an opportunity to be faithful. And they'd be like, opportunity is expiring soon. You could pray for a miracle and believe. You could tithe on your next paycheck. There's always another chance. You could invite a coworker to church like at Easter. You could give generously when the Holy Spirit stirs it up in you. You could serve on a team. There's a need, there's a need and you have the ability to meet that need. And if you don't meet the need, God's gonna raise someone else up to meet the need. Opportunities don't last forever. The opportunity of a lifetime only lasts for the lifetime of the opportunity. And what the Bible shows us is that God is going to accomplish his will with or without you. So the question is, will he be able to work through you or will he have to work around you? When it comes to these opportunities and the resources that God has given you, the choice is use it or lose it. When we study this parable, right, there are three servants, and so we can learn what God expects from faithful servants. There's so many great lessons in this parable. So in verse 15, it said, to one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. And it represents how Jesus established the economy of the kingdom of God, and then he left this earth. And right now he's seated at the right hand of the father. But how many of you know, he's coming back. He's coming back someday. So notice he didn't give them the same amount. One got five, one got two, but he did give them the same opportunity to be faithful with what they received. They didn't get the same amount. And, and it helps us kind of understand in this world we live in, not everyone gets the same starting point. Not everyone has the exact same 
resource. Some of you grew up in rich areas. Some of you grew up in poor areas with good parents, bad parents, no parents, a lot of education, poor education. Some people start out ahead of the curve. Other people start out behind the curve. God doesn't promise us equal opportunity. Some start with five bags, some start with two, but God gives you all the same opportunity to be faithful with what you do have. So guard your heart against the temptation to constantly measure your progress against other people's progress, especially on Instagram with people you don't even know. We see other people, it's like, oh, they have a better house than me. Oh, she's got a cuter kitchen than me. Oh, they have more highly achieving children than I do. I've just got highly frustrating children. I feel like a, I'm not measuring up. And that, that's not what God wants for us. God doesn't compare your achievements to other people's. He does not compare your achievements to other people's. He doesn't ask you to give the same thing other people give. He doesn't ask you to earn the same degree or serve for the same number of hours. Your life is unique. Your circumstances are unique. That means your calling has been customized to you. He does compare your faithfulness. He does ask you to be faithful with what he has given you. Jesus, he left this world and he gave us an opportunity to be faithful with his resources after he went away. It says in verse 16, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work, work it, gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more, but the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. So when I read that, he dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. The first impression I get from that is not the correct impression. In my, in my mind, when I read that, I think, well, he saved it. It's like a medieval savings account. What do you want him to do? You know, he's keeping it safe. At least he didn't lose it. So maybe he didn't do great, but he didn't do that bad either. But you realize that's not how God sees it. When you read the word of God, you realize things that get buried in the ground are dead things. So although this third servant didn't lose his master's money, he murdered its potential when he buried it in the ground. There's a lot of Christians who have received so many opportunities, God, especially American Christians. American Christianity, my goodness. We've received so much, we're so blessed, we're so far ahead of the rest of the world. We've got so much more opportunity and wealth, education. It's insane and oftentimes we just bury it in the ground. I didn't lose it, I just spent it all on me. I invested it in my 401k. But if we don't use what God's given us to produce an eternal result, then we're gonna miss out on eternal reward. And it's not pleasing, it's not pleasing to God. We need to use what he's given us in, and invest it into soul-saving eternal ventures. In verse 19, it says, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. 
the man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied the exact same way. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Okay, so I wanna point out some things here. Jesus' disciples called him master. And what Jesus had to do was teach them, I'm also your friend. For a lot of us today, a lot of American Christians, we're very quick to see Jesus as our friend, but we need to be reminded that he's also our master. The way you're saved is you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That means you acknowledge his sovereignty in your life. You allow him to become the king of your life and you say, he's my king, I will gladly be his subject. He's my master, he's my master. But here's why this is important. If Jesus is just your friend, you could consider his input on what you should do with your life. You might, but when he's your master, you will want to do what pleases him whether you understand it or like it or not. And there's a lot of people that they don't think that way. It's like, well, I wanna be saved, I wanna go to heaven, but I don't necessarily wanna do the things Jesus tells me to do. I don't wanna have to serve people. I don't wanna give. I don't wanna forgive. I don't wanna love people who are different than me. That's not fun, so I'm just not gonna do it. And if that's your attitude, then Jesus might not be your master. But I gotta connect the dots. If he's not your master, then you might not be his servant. And if you're not his servant, then you're not saved. I heard one pastor say it this way. The sign of a heart changed by God is you like when God tells you how to live. The sign of a heart changed by God is you like when God tells you how to live. I love this. If you don't like what God says about giving, you need to ask God to change your heart. If you don't like what God says about serving, you need to ask God to change your heart. If you don't like what God's word says about homosexuality, you need to ask God to change your heart. If you don't like what God's word says about hell, you need to ask God to change your heart because... He's not changing. He's not changing for you. He's not changing for the culture. He's not changing for anyone. The only thing he's willing to change is you. So ask God to change you. Because he's not, he's not changing. You know, I cannot judge anyone's heart. Only God can judge the heart. Fortunately, God didn't make it my job to figure out who's really saved and who's not. He said, just feed everyone. I'll separate the sheep from the goats at the end. But can I be honest? If I had to guess, I think a lot of times I could probably get pretty close to figuring it out. Because you can see the difference in people's attitudes. When people get really saved and transformed into a new creation by the Holy Spirit, their attitude is different. They're like, oh, Jesus saved me, now what? What do I do now? You want me to serve? Tell me where to serve, I'll, I'll serve wherever you want. You, you, 
You want me to give? How much? I'm ready to give. You want me to tell people about Jesus? Duh. How could I not tell people about Jesus? He's awesome. Right? <laughs> but, but people who grow up culturally Christian and take it for granted, a lot of times they'll sit through a challenging discipleship-oriented sermon series like this with their arms crossed. What's this pastor trying to get me to do now? Trying to get me to serve and give my money? I'm not doing that. I've been saved by grace. But Jesus shows us that's not how people who love him think. In John 14, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. He just presents it very simply. and says, you can tell the people who love me because they obey my teaching. Not, not perfectly, we're not perfect. All of us make mistakes, but they want God to tell them how to live. They love him. We wanna please him. Do you love the Lord? Do you wanna obey his commands? Even the ones you don't understand, even the ones you don't like. We've been talking in this series about money, God's way and giving, tithes and offerings. And, and there's a lot of different comments I'll hear, questions and even excuses, but, but really it all boils down to this. People who don't give to God, they either are afraid to or they don't want to. Neither of them have a money problem. If you're afraid to give to God, you don't have a money problem, you have a faith problem. And you need to trust God to take care of you and provide for your needs the way that he has promised to, he will. And if you just don't want to give to God, you don't have a money problem. You have an authority problem. You need to put God first in charge of your finances and let him lead you into blessing because God cannot bless what you keep away from him. You can tell, you can tell that the mindset is so so significant. And my prayer for every member of Generation Church is that we would stand before Jesus one day and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that what you want? It's so good. So notice with those two servants, the master, I spent a lot of time talking about him as master. He didn't judge them based on how much they returned. One guy returned 10 bags, one guy returned four bags, but they were both 100% faithful. God's expecting you to be faithful with what you do have, not what you don't have. That means if you're a millionaire, be faithful. If you have a regular paycheck, be faithful. If you get a social security check or a disability check or a stimulus check, be faithful. When it comes to serving others, be faithful. A mom with four kids is not gonna be able to serve as many hours as a single woman. Just be faithful with what you have. If you're older, you might not be able to do physically what you once could, but be faithful with what you do have. If you're younger, you're not gonna be able to give as much as you might be able to when you're older, but be faithful with what you do have. This is what matters to God. And in verse 23, the master replies, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. I want you to see the change that just took place there. He addresses him as a faithful servant and then he establishes him as a responsible, given authority, commissioned ruler. 
The path to leadership goes through humility and servanthood. A lot of people want more responsibility and more authority, but God cannot establish you as a leader who is entrusted with more if you have not been faithful as a servant when it was less. That's not how he works. God, you, God will not allow you to lead with authority until you serve with humility. So I, I think about it like this. I got a, a tree that I was gonna plant in my backyard. And you know, it's about six feet tall, it's like a baby tree. And then the, the roots are all in this little plant, this little planter pot, you know, this little black temporary thing holds the roots. And so it's just a temporary, you know, way to transport it to your home and then plant it in the ground. So I, I stuck in the backyard, I was gonna plant it soon, you know, <laughs> I'll do it soon. And then a, a storm came, the wind blew it over, just easily, just knocked it over. And it's obvious it was top heavy and the roots weren't in the ground. So there was no security or strength holding it in place. So I want you to see this, right? These faithful servants were elevated into a position of leadership. It's when you're serving God with faithfulness and humility that he develops strong roots in your soul that grow down into the love of God. And that's what keeps you strong and gives you the strength to last as he elevates you into positions of authority. If God gave you leadership and authority before you had stability, the storms of life would knock you down. So when you're in a season of serving with humility, know that God is getting ready to raise you up for more responsibility. I love this. Verse 24. Verse 24, then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. What does that mean? He harvests crops he, doesn't, he didn't plant. That means he's a businessman. He's a successful businessman. He's a ruler, our master. He, he expects, a, he's like, I don't, I don't actually plant the crops. I just reap the rewards. I'm a businessman. I got people that do that for me. So this guy is saying, I knew you were a businessman. I, I knew you expected a, a return on investment and it made me scared. I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. What does the master say? The master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. Seriously, not pulling any punches. If you knew I harvested crops, I didn't plant and gathered crops, I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Okay, so I wanna point some things out here. The third servant says, I knew you were a harsh man. God's children know that our father in heaven is not harsh. He's loving. Christians know that Jesus is not harsh. He is kind. He's loving. Right? So Jesus is not harsh. God is not harsh. He does, though, expect a harvest. He does expect us to use what he's given us to produce a result. So some of you are, Pastor Ryan's here trying to get me to do stuff. This, this sermon series is harsh. It's harsh. It's not, that's not what it is. We're trying to understand God, right? 
He's not harsh. He expects a harvest. He's a businessman. He wants an eternal return on investment. That third servant, he buried the money in the earth. And I think it's interesting to point this out. He didn't work against God. He just didn't work for him. He didn't fight against God. He just didn't fight for him. And there's a lot of people who are like, well, yeah, I'm cool with God. I mean, sure, yeah. And they think that that makes them cool with God, but that's not how it works. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're automatically against me. You gotta choose. You can't be neutral. You can't stay on the fence. Now here, I wanna point this out. He hid the money in the earth. The master called him a wicked and lazy servant. And so if you're a Christian, you read this, and here's what happens. In your heart, you start to get a little nervous. And you're like, I don't want to be wicked. I don't want God to call me wicked. Can I just tell you this? He never will. He will never call you wicked. Same words translated, different ways, different translations, also as evil. There's not one place in the whole Bible where God calls his people evil. He does warn them against evil thoughts. He does caution us against evil actions, but he doesn't call you wicked because he doesn't see you that way. He can't. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we know the Bible says he has washed you white as snow. He's changed your status from an enemy of God to becoming family with God. And I want to read you Colossians chapter 1. It highlights this. Once you were alienated, once... Before, church, you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Once, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. He sees you as holy without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith. Okay, so now that you have faith in the risen Jesus, God no longer sees your rap sheet. God no longer sees your bad choices. He sees you robed in the righteousness of Christ without blemish or accusation. So he will not ever call you evil. He will never condemn you because he has already saved you and changed you into one who is holy and set apart without blemish, without stain. Okay, so, so who are we talking about in this part of the passage? We're not talking about a Christian who doesn't measure up. We're talking about a non-Christian who is spiritually dead. Because a born-again believer can't help but produce good fruit. Born-again believer can't even help it. You can't even stop yourself from doing it. Because when you accept Jesus, he puts the Holy Spirit inside of you. And you know the, the Holy Spirit says in Galatians, he produces the fruit of the Spirit. So if he's inside of you as a house guest in you, he's not going to be able to help but produce fruit inside of you. It's going to happen. It's going to happen whether you like it or not. It does. Now, here's the thing. All of you who are Christians, all of you who are Christians, your life is probably producing different types of eternal return on investment. You're producing fruit in different ways. But if we're being honest and if we're, if we're allowing God to challenge us, there are probably some ways that you can make some adjustments in your priorities that your life would produce even more fruit. And that's what this passage is supposed to do for us as Christians. It's supposed to help us refocus on what matters. 
He wants us to be even more productive. Most of you are Christians, right? So if we adjust some priorities, maybe when it comes to serving or giving or sharing the gospel, we could produce an even greater return on investment. But watch what happens with this third servant who has to be. He's spiritually dead. He's not, not representing a Christian. Verse 28. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, which represents hell. So go back to the slide before this. Go back to this previous slide. There you go. Okay, take it from this guy, give it to the guy who had 10. Take the, take the bag of money from this guy who has one. Give it to this guy who has 10. Man, wouldn't Bernie Sanders hate this verse? He would hate it. He would hate it, right? He'd be trying to take from the guy who had 10 and pass it out to all the other guys, right? Oh, man, communists, right? So funny. Back to the sermon. <laughs> Someone's like, I don't like it when he's political. I'm not being political. I'm making jokes about things that are political. Okay. So human nature is we see this passage where the man who only had one, he loses it. And we think that's not fair. That's not fair. That guy only had one and this guy already had 10. That's not fair. And this is what tends to happen a lot of times in our lives when we look around and we see other people who've been more blessed than us. We see other people who have more than us. Our first automatic response as a human being is to say, that's not fair. But what if they've just been more faithful with what they had? Next time you find yourself wishing you had more, fight against the temptation to feel bad for yourself and instead think of the ways you can be more faithful with what God's already given you. Because here's the thing, God gives more to the people who know what it's for. That's what he does. You want God to trust you with more? Be faithful with what you have. He's not gonna give more to someone who's not being faithful with what they already have. God's gonna set you in charge of more. He's gonna give you more responsibility when you're faithful. And those who are not faithful with what God's given them will eventually lose their opportunity and someone else will get the opportunity to give God glory through faithfulness. And I don't know about you, but I don't want anyone else getting my rewards. I want my rewards. <laughs> it's not bad to admit that, right? Like, it's not, it's not a sin. Like, you're supposed to read this scripture and be like, I, I, want, I want rewards. I want to be rewarded. I don't want anyone else to get my opportunity. I want to be faithful with the opportunity that God's put in my hands. It's not my responsibility to get more. It's my responsibility to do more with, the, with what God's already given me. God's given us skills, money, time, resources, and he's given you the opportunity to partner with him to accomplish his mission. I think that's pretty cool that we get to be business partners with God in what he's seeking to accomplish. So yesterday, I flew to Seattle to go to the funeral for one of our church family members, Marcus, who fought a long battle with cancer, and he passed to go be with Jesus at just 44 years old. 
and he asked me to speak at his funeral before he died. So I went, and when, when I was there, you know, I heard from his kids sharing the faith that they had, which had been deposited inside of them by their dad's faithfulness. Heard people talking about how Mark has impacted their life through Jesus. And see, those moments, those, those times when we're saying goodbye to loved ones, it's hard, it is sad, but doesn't God take what the enemy meant for evil and use it for good? He does. There's a silver lining. In those moments, it refocuses us on the finish line. It refocuses us on eternity because it is natural that we get so caught up in our day-to-day -day lives in things that, that they matter, but they don't matter in eternity. That's what we need to see. We need to see the difference there between things that matter and things that matter for eternity. And I want us to all know that we're stepping into eternity whenever that time comes as faithful servants. My prayer for our church, we would all hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm gonna ask you to do this. Just close your eyes with me for a minute. Just imagine, imagine you're standing before Jesus and you're getting ready to enter into heaven and it's gonna be amazing. But before you enter into heaven, he's gonna evaluate the works you did in this life. He's gonna measure the things you did that matter. He's gonna measure the things you did that didn't matter. And he's gonna measure the things that matter for eternity. And you're in that moment and you know you're about to get evaluated. There's a, a test that's about to happen. Are you gonna feel nervous regret? Or are you gonna feel in that moment eager anticipation? that you're about to receive your reward. It's the choices you make right now in this life that are gonna determine how you feel in that moment when you stand before Jesus. Let's open our eyes. God's calling us to be faithful. He's given us opportunity. He wants us to be faithful with what he's entrusted us with so that he can entrust us with more. Personally and also as a church Family, we want to be the kind of church that God can entrust with more, right? Right, Mesa, right, Awatuki, right? We want God to send us more people. We want God to give us opportunity to love more hurting people. We want God to trust us with more kids to raise up in faith. We want more, so we've gotta be faithful with what we have. This is our day, our day to decide how we're gonna live from this point going forward. God loves you so much. He has declared you holy, and he's given you opportunity. And now you get to decide what you do with it. You're gonna use it, you're gonna lose it. It's up to you. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. If you're here and you say, I wanna make Jesus my master, I wanna let him be my savior and come into my life and forgive my sins so that I can be a servant of Jesus who enters into heaven. I can be saved. If that's you, Pray this prayer with me. Just say, God, I need you, and I'm asking you to save me right now. I'm giving my life to Jesus. I believe he died on the cross for my sins and that he rose again so I can be saved and have victory. I'm gonna follow him from this day forward, and I thank you, God, for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen.